So this retreat that we're on is called Insight Meditation in Qigong. So since it's called Insight Meditation, and since Brad has created a new form of Qigong called Insight Qigong, I thought maybe this evening I would speak a little bit about insight. Uh, what What is meant by insight in the context of the meditation and the Qigong. And, and perhaps... Um, a little bit more particularly or more specifically the relationship between insight and letting go and we've, we've mentioned letting go and spoken a little bit about letting go I spoke about it the other evening in the, in the context of renunciation and, and also in the context of the Four Noble Truths so the, the first noble truth being the fact of dukkha, of, of suffering, of unsatisfactoriness, of stress. The second noble truth being the cause of dukkha lying in clinging, grasping, craving. And the third noble truth being the ending, the ending of dukkha. And, and of course, if, if the cause of dukkha is clinging and grasping and holding on, then the ending of it must be the letting go. And I'd like to just speak a little bit about this letting go to begin with. And um, I'd like to begin by saying that I, d- I don't like the word at all. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, the, the term letting go, uh, at least for me, um, and, and, and I, think, I think for many people, um, has, has some implications that may not be quite accurate. Um, one, one of the implications of, of this term letting go, and, and, and this comes up, I think, quite often when we hear about letting go. We, we see, we look, we look at our experience and we see where we're holding on to something, where we're tied into something, and where we're, where we're struggling with something, and we, and we want to kind of get out of it or we want the suffering to end and and we see the holding and then it comes ah I've got to let go and which is which is which is well good good fair enough (laughs) but then the question that comes up next is well how do I let go how do I let go and letting go very easily becomes something to do and then I try to figure out well how do I do it and of course the doing is in the holding yeah, the doing is in the holding the letting go is the releasing there's a, a, a beautiful phrase in one of the in one of the Buddha's discourses the, the Buddha says, see how letting go is peacefulness. And that's what it is. The letting go is the, the peacefulness. It's, it's the relaxation. And, and so, the, so, we, so we hear about letting go, but this question comes, well, how do I do it? And then we try to figure it out. Well, do I do it like this? Do I do it like that? Do I like this? Do I like that? And, um, and, and some, sometimes, we, sometimes we come up with something and it seems to work. 
And I say, oh, I got it. <laughs> That's it. Oh, I've let go. Sometimes, sometimes it happens in the, uh, in the meditation, maybe we have, um, we're, we're struggling with something and we go through a sitting just struggling with something. It's just the mind going on and on with all these old stories and, and, uh, and really wishing it would go away. And that's another difficulty with, with letting go. <laughs> Uh, just wishing it would go away, wishing it would end, and we go through a sitting, maybe we go through a qigong period, and then we go, we do walking, we're walking, it just goes on and on, and so and then we come into the sitting, and we say, well, if I can just come back to the breath, just remember to come back to the breath, just to come to the body, and just set the, set the story aside, forget the story, just come to the body. And then, and then somehow I managed to do that. And just for a moment, the story is gone. Tension comes to the body. It's, whew, oh, what a relief. Oh, I've done it. I've got it. And there's, and there's, a, and there's, a, there's a feeling of um, success. <laughs> and, 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 and perhaps a, a feeling of, um, of relief. A feeling of maybe uh, um, an experience of, of, of spaciousness with it. It becomes a pleasant feeling. It feels good. I think, oh, I've got it. That's it. It's gone. I've let go. And I sit through that sitting. It's oh, this is lovely. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I go out for a walk. Come back in and sit. Oh, there it is again. <laughs> Maybe I didn't have it, and 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 so so one of the, one of the ways we look for letting go is through experience, and if we can create a particular experience, then that becomes a way. That's how I do it. Yeah, I do it by setting aside the story, coming to the breath, coming to the body. But of course, we see that. Sometimes it appears to work, but sometimes it clearly doesn't. Right? Have you had this experience? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so this, this term letting go and, and trying to figure out how to do it, this, this becomes a problem with letting go because the doing really is the taking up. And so a better term that I, I feel for letting go is just to let go of this word letting go. <laughs> Just forget it, throw it out, and replace it with the term non-grasping. Okay? Non-grasping. So if the, if, the, if the cause of dukkha is grasping, then the ending of it is not in non-grasping. Okay? And I was speaking a couple of nights ago, I was speaking about how, how the, the, the Buddha spoke of intention in terms of non-harming and non-ill will, the absence of. And I think it may be helpful to look at letting go in the same way, to see it simply as an absence of grasping. And this can also help us to, I think, to, to get around another problem that I see with with the idea of letting go, and that is that very often when we 
think of letting go when we when we see the grasping, the clinging, the holding, and we see the the dukkha with it, and and then comes oh just let go. What we're what we're what we're really intending, we're really wishing, we're really wanting, or or saying is is not to let go, but get rid of. And letting go very easily becomes a synonym for getting rid of. But again, if we replace that with the term non-grasping, non-grasping has a kind of, uh, at least I feel, a kind of a, a spaciousness for not holding on, but allowing for the presence of. Okay, so something can be present can be right here, but I'm not holding on. Sometimes in our experience, it's um, it, we we can have an ex- uh, experience, and this this happens, I think, particularly with with pleasant experiences. We're having a pleasant experience, a nice blissful meditation experience. We come into a sitting and sit, and oh, the breath is really just happening, and this very little thought and no stories going on and really oh it's quite quite wonderful this maybe a little pain here and there in the body but nothing disturbing and and it's really it's really really happy and joyful and and light and and spacious and and then um where was i going with this Wonderful experience. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful experience. What was I going to say about that? All <laughs> oh, right. So we we get we get this experience, and and in 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 the midst of the experience, while we're experiencing it, there there can really be a sense of spaciousness, of openness, of allowing, of, of, um, of non-grasping, of just being present with. And, and that sense can, be, can, can feel very real. And then the next sitting is different. <laughs> the next sitting, that's gone. And the, and the difficulty is back. The pains are back. The restlessness is back. The agitation of mind is back. And, and very often, it's in these changes. It's, it's in the change, in the period of change. Again, we come to these periods of transition. It's very often in these periods of change that we can tell whether or not there has been and is grasping, holding on. So when we're in the pleasant experience, it seems very spacious and very easy. But then when it changes to difficult, then we can see, oh, oh, I want that one back. Where did it go? What did I do to lose that? And now what do I have to do to get it back? And, and all of this this, this, this wish for things to be different than they are is an indication of clinging. And in fact, the Buddha basically defined dukkha as wanting things to be different than they are. That's what dukkha is. It's wanting things to be different than they are. And, and um, it's a little bit tricky because 
at, 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 a, at, a, at a very relative level, of course, there are things in this world that we should want to be different. There are things that we should want to not be the way they are. But, but there, 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 there's a way of wanting things to be different and there's a way of wanting things to be different. And, 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 and the clinging, the, the, the craving, the obsession, the holding on, the struggle, shows the, the, the clinging. And this is, where the, this is where the dukkha is. So the dukkha arises in our relationship to something. No, I'm going to that a little bit, a little bit more. So the, um, so this, this, this letting go, this letting go, forget that word, and replace it with non-grasping. Okay, so the, so the, so the intention we could say is for non-grasping, if we want to end dukkha. So the question comes, well, how do I not grasp? <laughs> but of course, non-grasping has that sense of non-action. It's a, it's a, it's a not doing. It's a release. It's a releasing of the doing that's already happening. And, and so as I, as I we, so we can, we can find ways that, that seem to do this. So we can sit and if we get the attention concentrated strongly enough on the breath, then all the difficult states of mind kind of get shoved aside. And then we think, ah, oh, this is how we do it. Think, ah, oh, I've gotten rid of that. But of course then when, when I lose the attention on the breath, when the person next to me coughs too many times, then that's gone, and it comes right back. And, and so, the, so the, the action, the doing, can give us a temporary relief, but it doesn't really end the dukkha. And the Buddha's, the Buddha's quest, the Buddha's spiritual quest, was to find a way that would completely and totally and utterly bring to an end dukkha. And so the, the, the Buddha tried all the, went to all the teachers and tried all the different methods that they taught at the time and the teachers are still teaching. So he tried all the, the extreme ascetic practices, all the, the, the so-called purification practices. And, and one of, one of these practices that the, uh, that the, that the Buddha frequently, um, spoke about and the practice that's, that's still carried on to this day is, is the practice of not doing. <laughs> the idea, well, if, 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 if grasping is a doing, then if I just not do, if I just stop doing everything and, and you're actually there's actually cases of, of people deciding that they're going to not do and they not do by just standing there and not doing anything <laughs> and, and people come along and stuff food in their mouth and, <laughs> and things like this and, 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 and the idea is that by, by not doing they're going to purify all this 
old stuff that keeps coming up in our minds and keeps coming up in our bodies and eventually it's going to kind of all burn out. And, and again, what happens is the not doing becomes a doing. It's something to do. This is what I'm doing. And, and so the Buddha went through all these different practices and these different things to do. And he went through the ascetic practices and he, and he grew up as a prince with all the luxury and, and, and his father actually heaped extra luxury on him in an attempt to keep him from feeling any dukkha, in an attempt to keep him from experiencing suffering so that he wouldn't leave home. And, and, he, and he realized that that didn't work. Even with all that, he still experienced dukkha. And, and so he, he came to this realization that, that all the doing, the not doing, all the different practices, weren't really doing it. <laughs> and, and so what he, what he came to, what he came to understand is that it's, it's not the doing that ends the dukkha. It's not the experiences that end it. As wonderful as some of the experiences are, experiences, he describes experiences of, of infinite spaciousness and infinite consciousness and um, the state of um, neither being nor not being, neither perception nor non-perception. It's all these wonderful, blissful, and, and he saw that even these didn't do it. And why don't they do it? Because things change. They change. All these states change. All the experiences change. All the, the, the results of our efforts change. Whatever effort we do, we get, a, we get a result from it. There's an effect from it. But it doesn't stay forever. It changes. And, and so what the Buddha came to is that the, the answer, the, the, the resolution of dukkha lies in understanding, in insight. He came to realize that it's the insight that liberates mind and heart. And so then there's the question of, well, what, what does he mean by insight that liberates? What is liberating insight? And uh, I was once asked the question, what's the difference between insight and intuition? And that was a very good question. And, 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 and I actually thought about it and I, hmm, I don't really know. <laughs> and I went and I looked in the dictionary. <laughs> And, 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 I, and I read the two definitions and I thought, of course, that's it. It's, it's the diction, the, this particular dictionary happened to just hit it right on, hit the nail right on the head. And it defi- I can't remember the exact words, but it defined um, intuition as an understanding that comes um, not from thought, a spontaneous understanding. A spontaneous understanding that doesn't come from thought. Okay, and if we think about intuition, that's what it is. Intuition is—it's a spontaneous understanding of something, and it—it comes—it comes from somewhere much deeper than thought. It's not that we sit around thinking, "Okay, now I'm going to have an intuition." <laughs> what should I intuition about this? Intuition just—it just comes. 
And, and, and this is very much like insight. And I thought, oh, this is, yeah, this is like insight. And then I looked up insight in the same dictionary, and it, it gave exactly the same definition, except it added a few words to it. It said it's spontaneous understanding of the nature of things that comes not through thought. And I, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what the Buddha meant. Insight, the, the liberating insight is the understanding, the spontaneous understanding that comes not through thought, it's the understanding of the nature of things. And, and, and I would say specifically the nature of self. And, and the Buddha, in a, in a number of his discourses, he, he says, in fact, in, his, um, in the discourse when he describes his enlightenment and, and, and the days and, and weeks after the enlightenment when he was, he was kind of struggling with, should I try to teach this or not? Should I teach this or not? Who's going to understand this? Nobody can possibly understand it. He, he, actually, he actually used the words, this, this understanding that can't be thought. It can't come through thinking. We can't we can't sit and figure out the understanding that will truly end the dukkha. So insight into the nature of things. What does this mean? Insight into the nature of self. So we come we come on a retreat and hopefully not just on retreat, but hopefully in our in our daily lives, throughout our life, we take an interest in what this thing is called self and take a kind of interest that leads us to giving attention to it and, and really inquiring into self. Very important investigation and sometimes I think even more important outside of retreat. On on retreat it's it's very easy for us just to get into a, a kind of a, a nice quiet space and, and just be here and um, and um, and just see things coming and going and and not be too busy or too involved in them. But then we and then things feel quite spacious and lovely. And then we go out in the world and it's when we get out in, into the world, into our daily routines and our daily lives and our daily interactions with people, this is when the the, the self really starts to show. It shows in a way that it has impact on others. And, and so easily the world becomes a very self-centered world. Our perception of the world so easily becomes one that there's me here and there's the world all around me. And it's all out there. And some of what's out there is kind of attacking me. It bugs me. It bothers me. Some of it feels good and I'd like to get to it. And and and, 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 and the self becomes more important. And so much of life becomes about protecting the self, supporting the self, um, expressing the self, being the self, and, and, and to notice this in our lives, 
and, and, and to not take interest is very sad. Very sad to not take interest in this, to not notice how life becomes self-centered, and to take interest and look into this. So in the retreat, we have an opportunity just to be with ourselves. In our daily life, if something about ourselves comes up that's difficult, it's very easy to avoid it. Sometimes not consciously, but we just go off and do something else, find something pleasant to do, something enjoyable to do. And we can avoid a lot of the unpleasantness. Sometimes the unpleasantness really hits us and and it hits us in a way that it forces us to look at it. It's difficult when that happens. But if we think about it, it's really quite wonderful. Because it really does force us to look at this sense of self and to, to look into who we are. And so, so in the retreat, we have an opportunity to be with ourselves. And, and again, the, the, the intention in the retreat isn't to come to some nice, quiet, peaceful state and think, ah, oh, this is it, and just hang out there. It's not about experiences, because experiences don't liberate us. It's for insight, it's for understanding. And of course, the, in, the, the experiences can be kind of the ground for understanding. The experiences, what we experience, what we see, what we feel, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, all of these can be the ground for understanding. But the experiences in themselves don't liberate us. So we we hear this phrase, or we, we reflect on this phrase, insight into the nature of self. And so a question comes up, well, what's my nature? I want to understand my nature. What's, what's my nature? Sometimes, sometimes we make it seem even more grand by saying, what's my true nature? <laughs> and it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig around in here and see what's the real me. And, and we start to look at ourselves and, and, and we see one minute, Happiness shows. Next minute, anger shows. Next minute, fear shows. Maybe a little more happiness. And then grief. And then sadness. And then jealousy. And then, and then pain. And then pleasure. And, and all these, all these different things show. And, and we sit there and say, oh yeah, that's me. And then, oh yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, that's me. And, and and it gets rather confusing. You get to the point, well, what is the real me? What is my true self? What is my true nature? Is my true nature being angry? Or is my true nature being fearful? Or is my true nature being calm and peaceful and loving and kind and compassionate? What is my true nature? What is the nature of self? And of course, we can look at any of these. We can, we can look at this, this whole range of things and, then, and, we, and we can see that, well, yeah, that's part of me, but that's not all of me. It's not who I really am. 
And then, yeah, yeah, that's certainly there, but it's not who I really am because there's also this. And there's also this. And there's this. And they all show at different times and in different combinations. So what can I say about the nature of myself? I look at all these things and and what I see when I look at them is that they all change. So maybe what I can say about the nature of myself is change. The nature of self, the nature of things, is impermanence. Things change. Nothing is static. And, and we can we can look at anything. We can look at the self. We can look at physical objects. We can look at ideas. We can look at body. We can look at mind. We can look at anything. Anything we can look at. Anything we can conceive of. Anything we can think of, or imagine, or touch, or taste, or smell, it changes. That's the nature of things. That's an insight into the nature of things, to recognize impermanence. So how is that liberating? Remembering that if it's if it, what we're looking for is insight that liberates us, insight that brings the dukkha to an end. So how does the, the insight of impermanence liberate us? The cause of, the cause of dukkha is holding on. If I see, if I, if I, if I deeply understand and know that something is impermanent, it's changing. How do I hold on to it? Okay, we see, to, to understand impermanence at, at, a, at a level at which the very understanding tells me I can't hold on to it. Perhaps to, to understand that change is happening so quickly, and sometimes it's obvious something is changing so quickly, there's nothing really to hold on to. We look, in the, we look at the mind and we see the thoughts coming and going, and the thought comes in, oh, that's, that's a good thought, i got to remember that one, <laughs> but I'm not allowed to write. <laughs> I have to hold on to that one. And by the next thing, where's it going? What was that thought I had? It was really a good one. Even even through trying, I just can't hold on to it. It's gone. The the, the Buddha the Buddha commenting on 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 the mind, he said um, he, the, the, the Buddha was really good at coming up with analogies and similes and metaphors for, for things. And, and, and talking about the mind, he said, the mind changes so quickly, it's difficult for me to find a simile for it. <laughs> it, 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 changes, it changes so fast, even the Buddha couldn't compare it to anything else. <laughs> so that, so and we see the mind changing, 
And, and so we, we, when, we, when we look for a self in terms of a, a characteristic or a quality, we see that it all changes. And, 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 and the, the, the sense of self kind of becomes slippery. <laughs> what is there to hold on to? And that's, and that's not to say, and then we have to be careful, it's, it's not to swing to the opposite and say, well, if I can't hold on to it, then that means there's no self. It's not saying there is a self or there isn't a self. It's simply saying whatever is here is impermanent. It's changing and therefore can't be held on to. So how is that liberating? It's liberating because when it's really deeply understood and experienced, it ends the struggle to hold on. The struggle is finished. The manifestations of self are still here, the body is here, mind is here. Life goes on. Like I was saying, sometimes the the body is walking, but we're not doing it. Walking still happens, talking happens, thinking happens. Everything that manifests as what we would call self happens, but it's all impermanent. It's all changing and it's not can't be held on to. Very liberating. Just that release, that non grasping. As the Buddha said, it's peacefulness. So the insight of impermanence is a liberating insight. So what else can we say about what else can we say about self? What else can we say about anything that we could say is the nature of self or the nature of things? When we when we look at when we when we look into self and we look at self and 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 look and I spoke a little bit about this this morning this addressed it a little bit this morning when we start to look at the the kind of the the arising or the appearance of self start to look into where does self come from where does self arise so we so we we're, we're sitting in and we and we hear a sound, and in that in that very initial moment of contact and of consciousness, sometimes we notice this. There's just the sound. It's just the hearing. And then sometimes when 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 the mind body is is quiet enough and still enough, we can actually we can actually see, feel, experience. We can actually know the the coming in to the experience of the words. Okay? So we can know a moment of just bare hearing. And that and that bare hearing arises again not from me doing anything. It's not coming from me. It's coming from that coming together. The coming together of the vibration and the ear. And in that coming together, 
the hearing arises, there's the knowing of it. And then layered on top of that comes the words, ah, learn, cough. And then the story starts. But also in that in that contact, in that moment of contact, in that hearing, and, and this applies to all of the senses, hearing, seeing, tasting, touching, and also thinking with thoughts. In that, in that moment of contact, what also appears is the feeling quality, the pleasant, the unpleasant, or the neutral. Okay, so we're sitting and vibration comes, sound arises, and there's a feeling with it. And, the, and this feeling is, is, is conditioned by past experiences, memories, uh, it's conditioned by conditions in the, in the present, um, it may be conditioned by projections into the future, but the feeling arises and, 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 and based on the consciousness, the knowing of the hearing and the feeling, the stories start up and then another aspect of mind comes in here and, th- and this aspect of mind is what the Buddha referred to as perception. And this is, this is the aspect of mind that picks out the hearing, that picks out the sound. It, pick, it, it kind of separates out the sound and makes the sound into a thing. And it's in that, in, in that instant of making the sound into a thing that the labels and the descriptions come in. And, and as soon as it's made into a thing, it's out there, and there's me here. And so what began as a kind of an arising out of a, out of a, a contact, out of a connection, the mind separates. And the perception is one of separation. So the, the perception is of separateness. But the actual nature of it is that it arises out of connection. Okay? The, the hearing arises dependent on the coming together of the sense door and the sound vibration. It arises dependent on those conditions. And when we look closely at the self, we see that this is how self arises. It arises dependent on conditions. When we look at when we look at self, we see that self exists always in relation to other. For there to be a self, there has to be an other. And so the, the whole sense of self is based on this perception of separateness. And our senses, all of our senses say to us, yes, it's separate, I'm here and you're there. And, 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 and the feeling quality, the, the, the feeling quality, which also arises out of this coming together, out of this, this dependency, this interdependency, 
the feeling quality somehow 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 we 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 don't see that very clearly we we kind of miss that that the feeling comes out of the coming together and the feeling gets kind of um, associated with what's out there okay so so I I hear a sound a pleasant feeling arises with that hearing and somehow the feeling gets associated with the object and then I don't like that object I want to get rid of it or I like that object I want to get it or I see something ah yeah looks very pleasant I want it doesn't look very pleasant I don't want it the feeling gets transferred into the object and, and then and, and out of that comes the craving the desire for the object and then the clinging to it and so when when we when we're clinging to an object sometimes I wonder is it really the object we want or is it the feeling the feeling that we've associated with it when we want to get rid of something is it really the object we want to get rid of or is it the feeling the unpleasant feeling that we want to get rid of there's something to look into I think so the the self is arising dependent on all these comings together coming together comings together And, 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 and so we, we see, we can, we can begin to see that in a sense, in a sense, there is, there isn't really a self. There isn't a self that we can isolate and separate from everything else and give continuity to. Because we see, we see whatever I think of as myself, as soon as I think it's me, it's gone, and there's something else there. It's changing, so we can see it. Doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of deep meditation experience to see the impermanent nature of self, to see how it keeps changing. And we can, we can, we can begin to see the interdependence, the relationship of self to other, and how self isn't separate from other and so so there there, there, there there isn't really a separate self this is this is understanding the nature of self the nature of self is that there isn't really a self <laughs> and it's not to say there's no self because here it is here's the body mind but there isn't really because it only exists in dependence on all the conditions that give rise to the body, to the hearing, to the seeing, to the tasting, the touching, the thinking. And all of that is dependently arising and changing. And so from moment to moment to moment we could say there's a new self being born and dying, born and dying, born and dying, born and dying. And never staying. Where's the self? And to, to, to understand this, to know this, to experience this at a deep level is liberating. Because then I don't have to struggle to protect the self. I don't have to struggle to hold on to it, to keep it, to make it a certain way. I don't have to struggle to get rid of it either. 
What is there to get rid of? If there was anything, it would just change anyway. <laughs> Don't have to struggle to make it better or to make it worse. The struggle ends. And also in that, in that understanding of dependent arising and the understanding of interconnectedness, the, the perception of separateness, which causes so much dukkha, the perception of separateness and the, and the loneliness and the isolation that can come with that. To understand interconnectedness, to understand dependent arising, just cuts through that. There is no separateness. Very liberating, very freeing. Tremendous ending to dukkha. So these are the insights into the nature of things. And, 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 the, and the practice is to, to be giving attention. To give attention. The meditation, the qigong. It's not about the form. It's not about the experiences. It's about giving attention to, to really recognize and, and understand the nature of things, the nature of self. It's, it's such a deep level that it truly does liberate. It truly does release the grasping. So let's sit together quietly for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.